0: Hello and welcome to the Curator Salon podcast. I'm Geeta Joshi, your host. And today my guest is artist Prachi Gothi, who is a London-based abstract painter and I'm really excited to talk to her today. Welcome, Prachi. Hello, Geeta. Thank you for having me on your pod. You're very welcome. Um, let's talk about your work. First, let's start with, like, what do you, how do you describe your work and what people said about
1: it? So I am an abstract painter I make large energetic paintings exploring the dichotomy and coexistence of conflicting human emotions through a vibrant yet somewhat restrained color palette. Um, I try to capture the singular form in a state of flux um, as if in the process of
0: becoming something else. I know you haven't always made abstract art. Can you um, take us back to your original training and then how that's evolved, you know, how your practice has evolved through your different experiences? Um, I did my BA
1: in fine art from Mumbai and it was a foundation course with a four-year degree and uh, it was quite traditional in a sense that we were taught um, anatomy and then life drawing and um, and then there was a, another subject called creative painting. So the drawing and anatomy bit was, you know, painting from life. Uh, so literally five hours, three days to sit and finish your painting. So I had great interest in that and then cut to the the creative painting side. I was always interested in abstraction. But it was really like, I I couldn't connect because the the type of advice that I'd sort of received was very um, meditative when it came to abstract painting. I mean, to give you an example, like things I've read and spoke to my professors was, um, um, try and paint a nothingness and emptiness and flatness is the depth of the mind and things like that, which I was extremely enamored by, but I couldn't get my head around these things because um, it was okay not to speak about your painting as well then, like it's, it was okay not to write about it. Um, and so I was 20 something. And if Anything, I wasn't feeling nothingness. I was feeling a lot of things. So yes, and it's not like wrong advice or anything. They were right because they were all in there. These artists that I used to take advice from, and not just my professors, I would go out and take critique from other artists that I admired as well. And they were in their late 60s and they were probably in of that mind mindset. And the books that they asked me to read said these kind of words that I couldn't understand. So there was this massive disconnect between portraiture and this creative sort of drawing that I was uh, painting, that I was uh, expected to do. Um, And I thought that what they were saying was the gospel truth. And so I wrote my thesis and, um, you know, I was actually a merit student and that worked out okay, but I knew that something didn't fit well and that something didn't feel right.
0: That's so interesting though, isn't it? Like they're sort of teaching like the theories and things like that of abstract painting, but of those that existed, you know, from their generation, right? From probably the 60s and 70s and so on.
1: Exactly. And that's exactly what it was. And I, and I struggled to, to internalize what I was painting, I think. Uh, yeah.
0: And then you mentioned like the, you know, what we... I think you referred to it as like traditional um, art school or that element of where you're doing the figurative, you know, drawing from life, drawing from sculptures and all of that as um, really a, a model of teaching or a model of learning that was, you know, very much associated with the, I don't know, like 19th century, like academy schools and things like that. You've also referred to that as, in a previous conversation we had, as a focus on the decorative. Can you talk a bit more about that? that i think was actually really in hindsight
1: now that was really beneficial to me because i can actually paint and um um, i think toward the end of my degree when we were painting so much from life and not only that we used to go to to uni we used to go to different beautiful cities in india for for trips and we used to paint uh, landscape in situ, and so it turned, It eventually became not just about capturing the landscape, but about the atmosphere, and similarly about portraiture as well. Like I started seeing color that wasn't just skin tone on on the model, and so I think my sense of color has really, uh, like portraiture, has really, really helped and enhanced my sense of color. And I think today, when I paint, I can see a lot of that stemming from the the traditional learning. So I am in a sense, really thankful that, you know, I was
0: taught this way. Amazing. So then after uh, leaving art school in India, in Mumbai, you moved to London, how was that experience? So it was
1: very interesting because I'd never been out of the country, uh, 23 years. I had never taken a plane before, a flight before. It was my first time out and um, I knew, the one thing that I told myself is that I am going to go there with a blank mind. I'm going to try and absorb as much as I can um, rather than going in with preconceived notions uh, that are very meditative <laughs> about abstract painting. And so, um, cut to Chelsea College of Art and Design, uh, I am submitting my first critical research, my first draft of my critical research paper, and my lovely professor, John Cousins. Uh, amazing phd scholar literally trashed my paper <laughs> the first draft and that was the jolt that i needed because and and it, it, it and i really and i'm thankful that i took it really really positively because that 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 is literally the critique that i was looking for and he said this isn't what you believe this is what you've been told this is what you've read this isn't what you've experienced Go read blah, go read this and, you know, give me a proper conclusion to how you've come to this statement when you say abstraction is nothingness. What What do you mean? And I was like, oh my God, the penny has dropped. He's right. Like, what do I mean? And um, so then from then on, my uh, really uh, interesting journey and I think the great thing about Chelsea was that they didn't just encourage painting. It was an a, a MA in fine art. So they really pushed me to explore different media. Actually I pushed myself because it was a self-led course, but they they really encouraged that idea. So that's when my journey began and I tried everything under the sun. So I went and tried um sculpture in ceramic in wax uh i did some video installation i did a lot of collage because i was very inspired by anthony tapias at the time and i think i needed to do all of that because then finally again when i was introspecting i realized that what i am trying to express i can express best in the medium of painting and that's how I came back to painting but my painting was never the same again and um, I think that I I, so I think the way I've always sort of functioned in a sense is I go on and try different things and then strip them off when I realize this is not what I'm supposed to do and I think that gives me a lot of clarity and so yeah. That's
0: so cool I think I found that as well where you try lots of things and then that actually helps you filter out the things that don't work and the ones that feel good for you, you know, whether, whether they keep you in flow or you just have an intuitive sense about how that is going to look or how that works.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And also, like the traditional, you know, like muted colors, for example, were considered very intellectual colors in, in India. And, um, uh, at the time, and again, I, I don't speak for all of India because it's a vast country, just just the people that I was connected to. And uh, the art now is amazing and the galleries there are now you know, amazing. Um, but at the time where I was, um, and so uh, to break away from that, I just started with a bright patch of neon pink um, because that brings a bit of artificiality. To, to So it kind of breaks that intimacy that you have when you're looking at a work, when something really neon and fluorescent comes in. And I think so that's how my palette has sort of grown and evolved. And there's a big mix of a lot of somber tones along with very bright tones in my works although it's predominantly vibrant. But yeah.
0: So visually, how did your work evolve between, you know, between leaving you know, the experience at Chelsea and then what you're known for now?
1: So, like I said, I, I just had to break away from preconceived notions. And uh, we were taught a very compositional style of painting, which is all great to understand design and sense of color and everything. But there were rules such as don't have dark patches on the edges of the canvas, for example, so that your, the viewer's eye isn't sort of, you know, taken away. And all of these things which I just had to just do the exact opposite of so um, that sort of really helped helped me to break away from like a very long lived traditional style, deep rooted style of painting that I was pursuing. Also, I mentioned portraiture. So if you go back to uh, one of the paintings on my Instagram or on my website, it's called Untitled Four. That was my initial journey into this style of work where it started off with a really realistic portrait of my husband and then uh, covered up with layers of paint. And uh, you can still see the eye. So, uh, it, it, so that gave me a very, different window to what I was exploring. And then my uh, then visiting professor, Dexter Dalwood, uh, he had visited India and he knew where I was coming from. And when he saw the work, he said, Prachi, you know, these lions, I really believe in them. And I think that was like a goosebump moment and a push that I definitely needed. And I knew that I was in the right direction. And Finally now I do not have uh, consciously any realistic forms lurking about in the painting because I don't want to give the viewer a hook. I think Duchamp called it viewer responsibility where the onus is on the viewer when you look at the work where you know you kind of don't have a hook. So I So that's how my work has sort of evolved, but it did take a lot of like pushing and pulling to get to this point. And and then I realized that the scale of the canvases really mattered to me as well. And I get really immersed in the work and most of my canvases are larger than me. And my degree show works were all seven feet tall. And I think that the performative aspect in them just, and the the, the larger the canvas, the more you can sort of fit in. But I love that the viewer has to actually stop and soak it in. Like the more chaotic, the slower the viewer gets to, to explore your work. So, that's something, and that's how I think my work is
0: sort of unfurled. And I'm still exploring, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. I love that. You know, I think this is. I find this with a lot of artists when they when they start using larger canvases, it actually becomes much more of a physical expression as well. In that you have to literally physically sort of stretch around and move around the space yourself as the maker. Um, Definitely. The reference to Dexter Dalwood, I have <laughs> in the other room actually.
1: Oh wow! Oh,
0: lovely. Yeah. Mhm.
1: I, I was just lucky to have a you know him as my visiting professor.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. So after you graduated as an artist from Chelsea, what happened?
1: So, um, out of the fifty-five students at the degree show, I think only three of us managed to sell our works, and I was one of them. Uh, luckily. And uh, pretty much sold out my degree show. And then from there, I was really lucky, actually. I, I got uh, invited to another group show and also to, uh, for you know, to participate in the Arts for India auction that was held at the Kensington Palace. And a couple of agents uh, I spoke to who, who came across my work as well and managed to sell some works through them. So it was, you know, we were off to a decent start, I think. But um, obviously, you're living in London, you need to sort of survive. So I decided to go get a job and I only wanted to stay within the art sector. So I went and applied at Saatchi Gallery and started off as an intern. Ended up working there for six and a half years. (laughs) <laughs> initially started off part time and literally worked my way up to eventually being the business development manager slash press officer, uh, wherein every project that was happening in the gallery had to be overseen by me, and I think uh, just evolving to that position was was such a great experience because I now have uh, an idea of the behind the scenes of working in a museum scale art gallery. And uh, it, career wise, eventually I, I, I'm i very driven and ambitious. So uh, I cannot sort of, I realized I could not sort of, um, Work part time, give it my all, and then go to the studio part time and give it my all. That's just not how I could function. So I decided if I wanted to do something really well, I had to give it, you know, my full time attention. And so when this opportunity came about of working very closely with the CEO, I gave up, uh, you know, the idea of working part time, took it up full time. And I really again uh, uh I, I, I experienced such wonderful experiences through through exhibitions. I worked with a lot of corporate patrons, I worked with a lot of you know journalists, I was speaking to a lot of artists, and um it was a great space for me career-wise. I, and you know, I I definitely was peaking at that time. Um but <laughs> A year and a half after doing that role and after speaking so closely to artists and every time I would pick up the phone to promote their work, there would be like this sinking feeling inside me, like, I want to be on that side. I want to be the artist getting promoted. I don't want to be promoting them. Um, And that was slowly and surely eating me up. Um... And I think uh, it was it was a real struggle to finally then come to the conclusion that this experience is great, but eventually I really, I think I'm a painter and that is what I need to do. So it was, so I discussed with my husband and um, took the very decision, difficult decision of quitting my full-time job. <laughs> and getting headfirst into painting.
0: Such an interesting journey. I mean, as fascinating as it would have been to, you know, be working at, on that side of the, the exhibitions at Saatchi Gallery. I think these triggers are here to always teach us, you know, it's like every conversation you were having with an artist and getting that sinking feeling was actually a nudge from yes. spirit or something to tell you, you know, where you needed to be. That's so awesome. And so brave as well, really in London, you know, when financially it's a very expensive city to be in, to take the plunge and go full time. How is that working out for you?
1: That's been uh, interesting because then um, uh, I now have a two-year-old son. So I was on a bit of a maternity break. uh, But now that my son goes and then obviously we had lockdown, but now that my son is going a few days a week to nursery, I am able to get uh, some time in the studio and the days that he does not go to nursery, I make it a point to go in the evening, sometimes as late as eight in the, eight in the evening. And then I work up until midnight or 1pm, which is great because my studio building has 24 hour access. So it's working out all right um, for me so far.
0: COVID, so in terms of obviously as a self representing artist, you know, you have been marketing. I know you took part in some fairs and we'll get to that shortly. But how has COVID affected things for you? Or this certain lockdown period, you know, if we go back to earlier in the year, like March, April?
1: Yeah, so I that was when I had just begun, you know, finding my feet again and I was really excited to get my work out there and, you know, start this amazing journey. Um And then lockdown happened which was a bit of a bummer for everybody i think um and i remember texting one of my friends asking him if there were any online opportunities that i could you know uh, participate in because how else do i get my work out there and he didn't know of any and then i just came across this instagram account called the V art show and i didn't uh Know anyone from this, so the deadline to apply was literally the day I came across them, and so I ran to the studio, clicked a few pictures of my work and uh, luckily, my studio's a a forty minute walk away, so I could do that and um and submitted and they really liked my work and I got selected and then the next thing I knew I was on a zoom call with seven or eight amazing artists who were you know very well connected and who knew each other from, a, from the longest time. And it was amazing, they were welcoming. And I think actually lockdown in a strange way has worked out nice, ni- probably nicer for me than if we didn't have lockdown because, because of this uh, VR show. And the show itself gave, gave me a lot of exposure because people from all over the world attended. So that was amazing.
0: The art show was great, and I think it got stronger with every edition of it as well. They really fine tuned what they were doing. They always had great artists from the beginning. You know, some of our mutual friends, Gary Mansfield, Michael Warner. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really cool. You know, it's a really cool arrangement. I think it was really personal when we went into, the, like I went in as a visitor. You know, to see, to see you guys, and. Um, yeah, it was just really good, you know, and I think they, the artists they chosen always sat well together, but they'd rightly also picked people that were confident talking about their work as well. Because so I think not all artists are in that place, but yeah, it was awesome. I'm not sure if it's still going, but do you know if it's still going? No, because now
1: we can go out and about. So I think we decided that right now because physical
0: shows are happening. So it, it possibly could go ahead again. Okay, Let's wait and see. Yeah. And you're also taking part in Roy's Art Fair coming up soon as well. Yes. I was really, uh, like five years ago, if you asked me to take
1: part in an art fair, I would have just said a blank no. But because uh, I was very averse to the idea of fairs because of the incongruous setup of artworks and the fact that it's always so busy. Um, But uh, I, I, I really like to push myself and I realize well if it's crowded it's actually good because imagine the exposure that you know social media is great but you know the demographic of people that will come through to this art fair probably may not even be on social media or maybe you know definitely will be people who haven't seen my work on social media and will now you know get a chance to sort of follow what I do and also um, the fact that i realized that i can hang my work and curate my space in the way i wanted to so that it does not look chaotic so that uh you know i so that that actually created this shift in perspective and uh, i'm really excited
0: to to see how that experience happens well there's going to certainly be crowd control i guess you know this time (laughs) around but uh yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, actually. And it's great that it's still going ahead. So, yeah, I will see you there for sure. Pritchell, Lovely. What have you got coming up?
1: Um, so apart from this, um, uh, because it's so uncertain in these times, definitely in 2021, I am uh, up for applying for more art fairs. And uh, I've also applied for a few open calls, so we shall see.
0: Brilliant. Prachi! thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast. I will add links to your website and social and all those things in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Gita. It was an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thank you. The Curator's Salon hopes you enjoyed this production.